I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Presentation. Nothing personal. Word of the day today is presentation. A lot of misinformation out there that the commissioner's office is giving a proposal to the players union today to restart baseball and we're ready to roll come July 4th. It's a presentation. It reminds me of Jerry Maguire when Jerry Maguire tried to explain to everyone it was just a mission statement. What it, what it means is that the commissioner's office is actually going to sit down with the union and they're going to start working through some what we will call back-to-play issues, sort of a takeoff of back-to-school issues. It's back-to-play issues. What do we need to accomplish in order to have Major League Baseball playing again? And the list is lengthy. What happens in this era of social media, which is totally distracting to those negotiators, but really it shouldn't be. When we would be involved in negotiations, we would always pay attention to what the media was saying. We'd look for little clues of what the other side was doing, what the other side was saying. We'd try to get messaging. As you know, with any negotiation, the one key is you have to know what the other side wants. What's the object of the game for the person on the other side of the negotiation? whether you're buying something, selling something, whether you're in a negotiation with a member of your family. Every day, if you think about it, you negotiate 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 times, even though in quarantine, maybe it's down to five. But in non-quarantine times, you're negotiating 60 times a day. Where do you want to eat? It's a negotiation. So if you have an idea of where the other side is and where the other side wants to go, then you've heard me talk on nothing personal that my favorite thing to do is to make people think they've won a negotiation when in fact they're doing exactly what you want them to do. It's a common thread that I have, which is making people do what I want them to do when they think it's what they want to do. Happy to give people credit for doing things that I wanted to get done. Happy to take the blame when things that I want to get done don't get done. All of that's fine. But a negotiation, when you're talking about starting baseball, you have to have blinders on. You have to be like secretariat. You have to look straight ahead, know what the goal line is, and not worry about all of the cannonballs that are being shot in your direction. You know you've heard this before. If you're a fan either of nothing personal or of CBS Sports HQ or anything that I've ever done, because I give the example, and it's worth noting again, By the way, thank you for listening and downloading and giving a five-star rate and review. Ask a question. I'll do another bonus end-of-month mailbag pod. Ask any question in your Apple five-star review. So the example I give when you're negotiating, it's the beginning of the movie Jackass, the original Jackass. It's the favorite beginning of any movie I've ever seen. It's not in my top 100 as a movie, even though I love it and can watch it again and again, all of the Jackass movies. But the opening scene to Jackass 1, is really my life as a negotiator, as the president of a team, as a business leader, as someone who tries to accomplish things in the court of public opinion. 
the beginning of Jackass has all of the characters, all of the men who are playing parts. They're in a huge grocery uh, cart, huge, like an oversized grocery cart. And they are going, they have some helmets on, some don't have helmets, and they're going down a hill. And if you've ever gone down a hill inside a grocery cart, it's not going to end well. But what the beginning of the movie has is all sorts of rocks and all sorts of stuff being catapulted toward the grocery cart and hitting Johnny Knoxville in the face and having him recoil in slow motion. It is a brilliant start. It's absolutely hysterical because it's a totally jackass thing to do. And it sets the stage for the next four movies if you never saw the TV show, which I never had when I saw the movie. But that's what a negotiation is. Things are going to be coming at you from all sides. And if you don't have your blinders on, you will not get what you want. Now, in the case of baseball, Tony Clark, the head of the Players Union, and Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball, they both actually want the same thing. And that's the perfect place to start. They both want to crown a champion at the end of the 2020 baseball season. Their reasons for wanting it and their ways to getting there are both different. But that said, the initial top of the pyramid, this is a top-down analysis in this type of negotiation, the top, the apex, the summit, let's play ball. Let's get a champion. Okay, what is the big fight? I want to break it down and, and, and try to, again, make you understand because there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. Major League Baseball is going to propose in its presentation today a revenue split of 50-50. What that means is if baseball has $5 billion worth of revenue in 2020, in 2019, let's say they had $10.7 billion. So they're assuming revenue gets cut by more than half. But let's just assume the number's $5 billion. It doesn't matter what the number is. What the owners are saying is, listen, here's all our revenue. Count it up. We'll take 50% and we'll pay you 50%. So if the revenue is $5 billion, we're going to give $2.5 billion to player salaries, and we'll figure out how to distribute it to all the players, those making $30 million a year, Miguel Cabrera, all the way down to those making the minimum. The union views that that is a salary cap, that their salary is capped at 50% of the revenue, not their actual take-home pay. That's a very big misunderstanding because if the revenue is $6 billion, then guess what? They get $3 billion up from the two and a half if the revenue were five. So it's not that the amount of money they're making is capped. And frankly, they'd have a skin in the game to increase in revenue. They may do some interviews. They may do some more social media engagements. They may be helpful trying to sell tickets and raise revenue. Of course, there's no fans, so it wouldn't be selling tickets, but it could be selling national sponsorships, doing commercials. So their revenue is not capped. The salaries are not capped, but they view it as a cap because they think that if there's not a 50-50 split, then some owners would be willing to go higher than 50-50. So if an individual team has revenue of $200 million, they'd be willing to have a payroll above $100 million and they don't want to cap it. It is a preposterous argument. Had the argument with the union time and time again, from Donald Fear to Michael Weiner, all the way through to Gene Orza, just everybody, not explain, explain to them that a salary cap, there already is a competitive balance tax, a luxury tax threshold that serves as a cap. There's a de facto cap right now with the debt service rule, which is a rule they allowed in, in 
in the collective bargain agreement, which says a team's debt can only be a certain level. So there's caps all over the place. But let's say that you're the commissioner and you know that Tony Clark will not accept a revenue split. Why do you propose it? You propose it to get a reaction that he got from Tony Clark within two minutes of it being leaked. By the way, how did it get leaked? Of course, the commissioner's office leaked what they were going to present. It makes perfect sense to have it leaked because they wanted to get the reaction they got from Tony Clark. It is a battle of PR strategists. Here's what Tony Clark had to say. A system that restricts player pay based on revenues is a salary cap, period. Well, I just explained it wasn't, side note. This is not the first salary cap proposal our union has received. It probably won't be the last. That the league is trying to take advantage of a global health crisis to get what they have failed to achieve in the past and to anonymously negotiate through the media for the last several days suggests they know exactly how this will be received. None of this is beneficial to the process of finding a way for us to safely get back on the field and resume the 2020 season, which continues to be our sole focus. Tony, you're great. You did exactly what the commissioner wanted you to do. I think he may have written that statement for you. It plays exactly into the owner's hands. You're going to accuse the league of taking advantage of the global health crisis to get what they failed to achieve in the past. So you are therefore trying to build sympathy for your union members. In this era of 20% unemployment, 14 and a half, 20%, who's counting? Unemployment, pandemic, quarantine, mental health issues, physical health issues, concerns, worries, and death to the point where there's refrigerated trucks on the street in New York City. You think that it's going to play well, that you are saying that baseball is taking advantage of you by trying to give you 50% of the revenue? When everyone who works for a living, everyone who has a business for a living, you don't pay your employees 50%, one sect of your employees 50% of your revenue. It just doesn't work that way. In baseball, you know this very well, Tony. It's not just the players. You've got front offices, you have scouts, you have thousands of employees that need to get paid. They get paid way less than you do because players, no doubt, are critical. Believe me, I'm not in favor of replacement players. Never would have voted for it had I been in the league in 1995. People pay to watch professional players play, I get it. But now people aren't going to be paying to watch professional players play. They are going to be watching the professional players play on TV. Now, will teams get more broadcast revenue because there's no fans in the seats? Mm, no. Will teams replace ticket revenue with more sponsorship revenue in their ballparks? They can raise the rates because more people will be watching on TV to take into account that there's no fans. Uh, no. Will they be able to keep all employees at the same rate they were being paid before the global pandemic? Let me think about that. Uh, hold on. Yeah. No. Don't get into a PR war here, Tony or Rob. This is my suggestion. 
You want to talk about schedules and postseason, expanding the postseason. You want to talk about ways to increase revenue for the sport, selling an extra round of playoffs, getting as many games as possible without screwing up the 2021 season. You want to talk about roster size, which, by the way, is no small economic issue. The more people on the roster at the big league level, the more people making whatever the prorated share will be of the minimum wage. Just picture this. You have five extra players for a full season at a half million dollars each. That is two and a half million dollars added to a payroll. Peanuts. These are billionaire owners. It's not peanuts. Why do you think airlines increase ticket prices or concert when you go to a concert? What makes those prices what they are? What makes movie tickets the way they are? Or when you're streaming a movie and you pay $19.99 for an updated movie? Because there's a supply chain of people who have to get paid, but the owner of the whole thing has to make the most. If you want to own a team, stand up and put a group together and buy a team. I understand the frustration of the players wanting to avoid any sort of salary cap. There won't be. I understand the frustration of the owners not wanting to pay players a prorated share, even the way the players expect, which means if there's 81 games, they'll get half of what they should have gotten in a full season. I understand all sides. All sides understand each other. What we are witnessing now is step one of what will be a 50-step process. I explained this maybe on a recent pod, Coke. I can't remember on an episode of Nothing Personal. Maybe it was on a hit on CBS Sports HQ or somewhere else. But I was talking about we are now in the first inning. There's a runner on first, and it's a 1-0 pitch. That's where we are with this presentation to the union. So people sitting around right now refreshing their CBS Sports app or watching for breaking news on CNN or ESPN or CBS, HQ, wherever you are watching, whatever it is you're watching, NGTH, not going to happen, not going to happen. It's early in the game. Does a 1-0 pitch count with a man on first in the top of the first? Yeah, it does. You'd like to not let him steal second. You'd like to get a double play. You'd like to get out of the inning. But you know how many times we had three runs scored against us and came back to win the game after giving up three in the first? Or how many times we scored three in the first, didn't add on, and ended up losing the game? It's early. There's going to be a lot of back and forth, and it's all going to be leaked, and every one of those leaks is strategic because the players' union and the commissioners and owners want you the listener to nothing personal, they want you to love them. Me, I don't care. It didn't matter when I was in baseball whether you loved me or not because my job was to put the product on the field. Sometimes we won, most times we had losing seasons, but there was a product for you to come and enjoy your team and watch a game. Now we're trying to get the product there so you can stop watching briefings, hearings, live sports can be back and not inside a cage. So breathe. Take a minute when you read something. Know that I'll decode it for you on nothing personal. We'll take every step of the back and forth negotiation. We'll look at what the owners are proposing. We'll look at what the union counters with. And we'll tell you exactly where it's going to end up. Just like we're starting today with a little nugget that there will not be a revenue split in 2020. It will end up with a different type of agreement. But economics will not stop baseball from being played. A lot of articles being written, a lot of people concerned. How could billionaires and millionaires ruin baseball? There'll never be a recovery ever. The world is falling or the sky is falling. 
I think the expression is the sky is falling. Well, in baseball, if you ask me what will cause a season to be canceled, it's not a revenue split. It's not the hubris of the owners or the stubbornness of the union. It's actually health things, health reasons. Sean Doolittle started talking yesterday at about five tweets. It was an article. He might as well have written an article for the Players' Tribune. It was an article about all the things that were bothering him about returning to play and what he wanted to see in the owner's proposal as it related to health. And I agree. If you read the article I wrote on CBSSports.com, that's just a start. Players are going to have to be willing to make significant changes in how they operate in order for players like Sean Doolittle to feel safe. And they will. It will work out. It's a wait to see. It's not today's wait to see, though. Today's wait to see is different. I'm going to go on record and say there will be no revenue split in MLB in 2020. Wait to see is when I tell you what I'm accountable for, when I'm right, when I'm wrong, what's worked out, what hasn't worked out. This wait to see, I'm telling you in 2020, no revenue split in MLB. I want to go through some corrections with you. I love corrections. Listen, when you do nothing personal, it's a 45-minute show. It's every single day for you. I love doing it. I'm not going to get it all right. I just won't. There's going to be things I don't say right, names I mispronounce. I'll have a concept wrong. I'll have thought about something in my head, but I don't have a script. There's no prompter. There's no David Letterman cards where I'm reading a monologue. What I have is an iPad, if you're watching, and it has the rundown of what the show is, and it's got minutes. How many minutes? And if there's quotes, I put the quotes there so I can read them, and that's it. So when I did a segment yesterday, we talked about two, was that yesterday, Coca? I don't remember what day it was. We talked about two-way players and how to be a two-way player. I think it was reviewing Jordan, so it was yesterday, the last dance, where people said he could have been a major leaguer, and I said, unlikely. But Jordan's not a two-way player. You have to be a major leaguer and a professional at the top level. So in the NBA and MLB, in the NFL and MLB, in the NFL and NBA. So I mentioned Deion Sanders. I mentioned Bo Jackson. I forgot to mention Brian Jordan. Whoever tweeted at me at David P. Sampson, thank you. Uh, got into my DMs. Didn't do a so you want to t- talk to Sampson. Just corrected me saying, don't forget Brian Jordan. Of course, Coca, bless his producer's soul, when he saw the rundown today. And what happens is I send concepts and then he'll respond and we'll go back and forth and come up with a show. He said I had Brian Jordan ready to go yesterday and I just didn't get to it because you moved on. That's a likely story, Coca. It's a correction. Brian Jordan is a two-way player. Second correction, the Brett Favre story. I worked with a guy named John Devlin when I was at Morgan Stanley. He and I started Morgan Stanley together, and he is still a very close friend. We started there over 20 years ago, which is hard to believe, in 1997, six or 96 or 97. And uh, he is a brilliant financier, just a brilliant man. And we started together. And he was listening to Nothing Personal and listening to the story on Brett Favre and the fact that he only paid back half a million out of the 1.1 that he's going to pay back. And he's giving 600000 back over the next three months. And I said to you on Nothing Personal, I said, listen, how could he be so illiquid? It can't be that he doesn't have $1.1 million. It's, it's bizarre that he's waiting. There's no reason to wait. Of course, I called him to question the whole story. He sent me a long text wanting me to point out to you, so I'm doing it. John, JD, I call him, this is for you. Equities are the most liquid investment. 
So if Brett Favre owns stocks, equities or stocks, he could call his broker, sell his stocks, go online, sell his stocks. You get the cash in your account within three days and you can pay it all. Not all bonds are totally liquid. I told you that if you have money in bonds like T-bills, you can get the money out or money in cash. You should be able to use that money to pay back the money that you didn't deserve to have in the first place. He wants to point out not all bonds are liquid. It's true. You can have a 10-year treasury and you'd have to pay a penalty, but I still think they're pretty liquid. The most illiquid asset, which means where you can put your money where you really can't have access to it, are long-term venture capital funds. That's when you invest in a fund that invests in other companies and you wait for those companies to get better and operate more efficiently and make money. And then those funds get distributions upon the sale of that underlying asset or just a dividend. But those are liquid. You can't get your money out. JD, I guarantee you people at Nothing Personal are rolling their eyes right now. Rolling their eyes. Coca is on the floor right now flopping like a fish. Are you talking about liquidity, Samson? Yes, I am. Dr. Fauci, how would you like to? You know what? I just got to say this. Who wants to be Dr. Fauci? What is the upside to what he's done for the past decade or two. How long has he been doing this, Coca? It's not just under Trump. He's been, he did it under Obama. I mean, he's been the chief, I don't know, what, he, what do we call him, a chief epidemiologist or sort of the big cheese? He's something important. And what strikes me about Dr. Fauci is that he's in a position where he is now front and center as a media personality And we're talking about a guy who lives his life. He's been doing it since 1984. Coca, by the way, you have to either talk louder or if you're going to write something where I am, know that I'm not at the top of the document. I've panned down to now the middle of the document because it's the middle of the show. So how would I know that you're writing something on the top of the document? And then you wonder why I didn't see Brian Jordan because it wasn't there. So Fauci's been doing this since 1984. That's 36 years. He's seen a lot of stuff from Ebola to SARS, now coronavirus. He was around HIV during HIV for sure. And now he's being asked to explain to the country from the president on down to all of the citizens, what the hell is going on with coronavirus? And everyone is looking to him in an absence of perceived leadership at the federal, state, and local level. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, it doesn't matter. The perception is that there is a void. So the question is, we're looking to Fauci, and he has to stand up in addition to his day job, which is figuring out how to deal with coronavirus and study all the studies and all the stats and come up with recommendations. He has to go and do all the talk shows. If that weren't enough, he also today is in front of the Senate in a Senate hearing, and he's saying some stuff that'll knock your socks off. Stuff like, hey, it's going to get bad again. There's going to be another wave if we open prematurely. All the things that leagues don't want to hear. One of the biggest hurdles to starting a season right now for football, for baseball, restarting for basketball and hockey. What do you do if there is an outbreak? Not a random one player. One player gets coronavirus, I got a plan. Quarantine him for 14 days, the show goes on. No one else tests positive. They get to keep playing no matter if they were on first base and he was a runner. If they are play first base and second base, they're a double play combination. Whatever it is, one person tests positive, one player, quarantine, we're good to go. 
He talked about football yesterday and it bothered me because it scared me and things that scare me bothered me because I don't like to be scared. I've worked for five to seven years once a week to get rid of my fear of the dark. It's sort of working. Fear of being alone. Everyone's got fears. My new fear is being bothered by the fact that all this work that we've done to quarantine, all of this beard that we've grown, all of this money that we have raised and are continuing to raise, will it be for naught if we have to do this all over again because people lose the desire to be strict and stringent about taking care of themselves and those around them? I want to go out too. I want to go to a live game. I want everything back to normal. But the new normal will be, and people say, I don't like when people say the new normal. Well, get over it because that's what life is. It's a series of changes that take place over days that when you look back over months appear to have happened overnight when in fact they happened gradually. That's what we're doing is we're trying to make a significant change and have it happen like that. Turn the light switch on, everything's back to the way it was prior to the shutdown. Not going to happen. There will be adjustments. Dr. Fauci explained that in the NFL, you do not get the virus by the exchange of sweat. So basketball players who are playing on the court, it reminds me of when Magic Johnson came back after he had the HIV diagnosis and they let him play in the All-Star game and he ended up having to retire from the Lakers, but he played one more All-Star game. He then played in the Dream Team. Do you recall at the time, maybe not because some of you weren't born, players were actually afraid to play with Magic Johnson because they were afraid they would contract AIDS by boxing him out, trying to get a rebound or by blocking a shot. It was pointed out that it comes with the exchange of bodily fluids, including blood, and that sweat is not how you get HIV. Well, it's the same thing with coronavirus. Sweat is not how you get coronavirus. However, let's picture in baseball, the pitcher goes to his mouth to lick his fingers. That happens all the time. They lick it. And by the way, hitters want pitchers to use pine tar and to lick their fingers because hitters want pitchers to have control over a 98-mile-an-hour heater so it doesn't hit them in the ear. Remember that famous line with Ray Liotta from Field of Dreams when he's talking to Frank Wally, a young Frank Wally who's playing little uh, um, Archibald Moonlight Graham and they're playing on the Field of Dreams and Ray Liotta playing Shoeless Joe Jackson calls him over and says, all right, he just went up and in. You got a man on second and third. He doesn't want to walk you. Where do you think the next pitch is going? And he says, Frank Wally says, Moonlight Graham to Joe Jackson, I think it's going down and away, but it may be up in my ear. So Shoeless Joe looks at him and says, sit on down and away, but look out for up in your ear. Players don't like that. They want the pitchers to have a grip. So the licking, let's picture you lick the ball, you take the ball, you throw it, then it gets hit, and then it gets fielded. Someone fields it, they throw the ball in second base on a single, then that person touches that player, the center fielder, touches his ears, touches his nose, touches his mouth, trying to give right. First of all, can you imagine, I just thought of this, if you're watching this on uh, CBS YouTube or wherever you're watching it, this is one of the most popular signs actually in baseball. It's ear, nose, mouth, mouth, nose, ear, and you go in an order and there's an indicator. So it's the second ear touch, the touch after the second ear touch. So it's nose, mouth, nose, ear, nose, mouth, nose, ear. Now the next one, nose, that's a hit and run. So you have to, you have to be counting and looking and looking. 
There's no managers who should be doing that. You're not supposed to be touching your face. So we're going to be going to the arms, right? Like you're going to hit your left arm, right arm, go across the chest. It's going to be very funny. It'll be like Gina Davis and Tom Hanks in League of Their Own doing dueling signs to players. So if a center fielder gets a ball that's been licked and then hit, and then that center fielder puts his fingers near his mouth, wipes sweat away, touches inside his ear, his nose, whatever they do, that's how it can be transmitted. That's the issue, not the sweating part. If you don't touch your face and put your hands in your mouth and your nose, there is no way that I can convince you to understand how many times you actually touch your face during the course of a day. How many times your fingers are in your mouth, your nose, your ears, it, it, your eyes. It's truly incredible, actually. It just happens without you thinking about it. So there are a lot of issues that have to happen in the NFL for base for football to come back. And Fauci gave this interview. I took time out of his day to give an extensive interview. He called into question the NFL season saying, hey, the good news is we have till September 10th. The bad news is there's a fall wave that's expected to hit. The bad news is today there's not enough testing. There's got to be testing. We said it in the article that you may have read on CBSSports.com. I did an article on a, I did a pod on it too, on coming back to play, how to restart baseball. Not dissimilar in football. Tests must happen, period. Often, early and often. Coca, did you get the tweet I sent about in Chicago about how they vote early and often? Did that, did you understand what that was? I think I may be too old for that. It's a very big thing in Chicago. There was back in the, I want to say 1930s, 1940s, but I could have the wrong decade. I could have the wrong century where there was a lot of criminal fraud and mob related fraud when it came to voting. And there were dead people voting and like they weren't actually voting, but people would vote for them and claim that they were the dead people. So people got to vote twice for the same candidate. Anyway, so testing has to happen early and often. What I think happens eventually, eventually, with the NFL is that they will have to come up with a protocol. They're going to work with MLB, the NBA, NHL. Soccer is going to be a part of it. There will be a sports-wide protocol in terms of quarantine, in terms of testing, in terms of how to deal with players who have tested positive, in terms of how to deal. Thank you, Coca. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Coca said Chicago is famous for its history of people voting from the grave. And apparently, that helped President Kennedy steal the 1960 election. So are you saying that this only started in 1960? I thought it was way earlier than that. Although maybe Al Capone was only in 1960. I actually don't know when Al Capone was alive. I think it may be earlier than that, 30s and 40s. I guess that's a correction coming because I'm not going back to it. What I'm going back to, Capone died in what year? 1947? Then obviously it was before 1960, Coca. Come on, man. I'm not doing a correction. What year did Geraldo open the vault? No, I'm just kidding. Who cares? So Dr. Fauci gives this talk on the NFL, and the bottom line is that the sports are going to have to work together because what's good for one is going to be good for the other, and if it's not good for the other, it shouldn't be good for one because these are all grown men. These are all people with families, not just players. You've got executives. You've got support staff. You've got people who are working in, in hospitality. All of them need to be protected. Safety is paramount, period. I think we should give it up for Dr. Fauci, whether you agree with him or not. This is, again, I'm not being political. I'm happy to be political. If you want me to be political, I'll be political. I'll do an entire pod on politics. I'll do 20 pods. I love politics. I think it's important. And I have no problem with whatever side of the aisle you're on at all, by the way, at all. I have nothing against Republicans. I have nothing against Democrats. I respect you. What I don't respect are people who don't have a point of view. Don't let your brain atrophy. Think about what you think about and then test your own hypothesis.
don't just believe something because you're supposed to believe it. Believe it because you do believe it because you learned about it. Dr. Fauci is sort of being used as a political pawn right now. And people are upset. People are angry. And it eh, doesn't much matter to me. What matters to me is that we get sports back. And to do it, people got to start paying attention. All right. Uh, Jerry Stiller died. I want to shout out to Jerry Stiller, the father of Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, one of the great actors, uh, not just for his movies like Tropic Thunder, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Dodgeball, something about Mary. I could go on. Every time I say, by the way, if you've heard this little verbal tick I have, when I do a list off the top of my head and I say could go on, that's my way of delaying because I can't think of anything else at that moment. Because if I could, I just would have thrown it out there and I wouldn't have said I could just go on. And right now, as I'm saying that I could just go on, I'm trying to think of other Ben Stiller movies. Anyway. No, I can't take credit for Zoolander because I never would have thought of it because that's actually a Ben Stiller movie I've never seen. So Ben Stiller's dad died. Jerry Stiller's a famous actor married to Ann Mira, Ben Stiller's mother. Jerry Stiller had a uh, role, a recurring role as George Costanza's father on a sitcom called Seinfeld. If you've never heard of Seinfeld, wake up. If you're too old to have seen it live when it was on every week, go back and watch it, stream it. It's a show, they say it's a show about nothing. And the irony is it actually is a show about nothing. It's about four characters, George, Elaine, Kramer, Jerry. So... Coca's whispering, and I'm not going to tell him, Coca. All right, all right, whatever. I w- you really want me to say that? Coca wants you all to know that he doesn't think Seinfeld's funny. And you wonder why Coca's phone never rings. And when it does, it's from people who put the you in unstable. How could you not think Seinfeld is funny? It's brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, the guy from Pretty Woman, that crazy mean lawyer who has a fight with Richard Gere in Pretty Woman, he's the one who plays George, Jason Alexander, Kramer, Michael Richards, Jerry Seinfeld plays Jerry Seinfeld. And then you've got Julie Louis-Dreyfus, that woman from Veep. Yeah, that's Elaine. You've got Newman on it, the guy from Jurassic Park who steals the eggs. It's just too good to be true. Yes, they're real and they're spectacular. So Jerry Stiller died, shout out. So to do that, you know, I watch a movie every day. Do you think Coca got what I just said? Because he just went totally silent. If he did get what I just said and he thinks it's inappropriate, you may cut it from the show, but it's not inappropriate because people may not know what it is. And if they do know what it is, then they get the joke. And I didn't say anything that was totally inappropriate. It's just funny. It's just funny. By the way, that's Terry Hatcher, as in Desperate Housewives. Indeed. So I decided to watch yesterday or the day before. I can't remember which. I think I watched it the day of the last dance. So I guess that would be Sunday. I watched the new hour-long Jerry Seinfeld special called 23 Hours to Kill, which was on Netflix. It's a comedy routine. It's a comedy theater show recording. I don't even know what the word for it. It's a stand-up comedy show. About an hour long. Jerry Seinfeld... Started many seasons of Seinfeld. The show would start with him doing a snippet on stage because he's a stand-up comic. That's really what Jerry Seinfeld is, more so than even an actor. So I didn't see Jerry Seinfeld do comedy. still tours from time to time, but I had not seen him in years, maybe even over a decade. 
So he comes on stage and he looks terrific. He looks older. We all look older. When you don't see someone, have you ever done that? When you watch a movie with someone who's young, they get frozen in time. You watch reruns of that movie. You see it a thousand times. You assume they haven't grown up. And then they come back and they do, like yesterday, I watched the uh, Back to the Future reunion that Josh Gad did on Josh Gad's YouTube channel. Brilliant. He had done The Goonies and now he did Back to the Future. And Christopher Lloyd was on it and he plays Doc. In, in Back to the Future, and Christopher Lloyd got old. Back to the Future was back in the 80s. And to me, Christopher Lloyd looks like Christopher Lloyd, a little older than he was in Taxi, and the way he looks in Back to the Future. By the way, still hysterical, still perfect, still healthy, all great, but people age. So Jerry Seinfeld aged, gets on stage, and his voice has changed. He's made a living with his voice for so long that he just doesn't have the voice he used to have. I imagine that I'm looking in the mirror that this is what's going to happen because I've been using my voice for what is now 52 years. Well, I was a late starter, so say 50 years. And I would imagine that there'll be a point when my voice will have a hard time, my diaphragm will be tired, my back will hurt more than it does now, and Wilson will say, that's enough. It's over. For Jerry Seinfeld, he's not there, but he's getting there. So his voice was cracking during the emphasis, the punchline of many of his jokes Part of what makes him funny is his diction and his tone. So he'll be telling a story. That's what it is, right? It, it's, oh God, by the way, if I had been doing that for 20 years, that would hurt my voice. So it doesn't play right because you're distracted by his voice. Some of the bits were funny. He does a bit about parenthood. He does a bit about marriage. He does a bit about age. He does a bit about one of the things that I'll say is the great part. He's 65. He loves being 65. The great thing is he can just say no to anyone and not even explain why. Hey, do you want to go to a movie? No. Hey, do you want to come out to a party? No. Hey, do you want to call? No. That's awesome. That is an awesome thing about being 65. You just say no. You don't care anymore. So all in all, 23 Hours to Kill is an hour worth it because we're in quarantine. If you're a fan of Seinfeld, you just have to do it because you owe it to him to watch because of what he did for you for all those years. It's payback time. Is it his funniest hour? No. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. No, it's not. ML Beard Challenge, day 58. Uh, day 58 is unbelievable. It's Utah. Utah, the Utah Jazz. ML Beard Challenge, we're growing a beard till MLB opening day. Rumor is it's July 4th. Don't get excited, Coca. You're not going to be shaving on July 4th. I'm hoping we get to shave August 1. Wait to see. But we're going to 
take it all away. By the way, Coca's beard, I'll post another picture soon because we're at day 58. It's already been tomorrow's 20 days since the last day of Survivor, day 39. So maybe day 60, Coco will do another picture because his beard is growing vertically. My beard grows horizontally. So I've got these long hairs that hang out from the side of my face that are quite bizarre. Coca's, he's like sweeping the floor with his beard already from under his chin. It's quite bizarre. So before the show, we do a... um a Zoom, and we're talking back and forth about the show. And for whatever reason, Coca likes lifting up his chin and showing me how long his hair is. It's sort of whatever. I, I sometimes see bugs and gnats flying out of it. So Utah, I'm not going to give to the Utah Jazz. We're doing $1,000 a day for 100 days. Today's day 58. Instead, I've been choosing some different charities. We've gone through all the major league cities. We're going through the NBA cities. The Utah Jazz are a great organization, by the way. But instead of giving to the Jazz Foundation, if you want to give money and you live in Utah, if you can afford whatever you can, please do. I'm doing the National Parks Organization. I think it's called the National Parks Org. It is a not-for-profit that is meant to keep the national parks going. We're talking about all the national parks from Yosemite to Yellowstone to others. I can't even name all the national parks. Um, Yosemite, Yellowstone, uh, Zion, uh, Bryce, and uh, Central. I think those are the national parks. And so what this organization does is it keeps people working, keeps tours going on. And what they're doing now during time of Corona is they're taking care of workers who have been furloughed because the parks have been closed for so long. So this is a great organization called the National Parks Org. Okay, I want to finish with this. So you want to talk to Samson because I uh, I appreciate that. You go on my Twitter at uh, David P. Samson and you come in and you uh, DM and you ask questions and I try to get to as many as I can. I love answering. There's a lot more. That, the show is growing and I'm appreciative of that. I really am. It's because of all of you. That's why we keep doing this every single day. Someone asked, can you please explain the Zion Williamson legal situation? Did Duke do something wrong? Great question, because there has been so much news about this. Zion Williamson played for Duke for a year. The number one pick, he got hurt, drafted by the Pelicans. He then started the NBA and had a sensational start to his rookie campaign, and then the NBA shut down. Zion Williamson is this man-child who has a chance to be one of the best. I'm not sure, sure he will be, but he has been a top prospect since he was probably in ninth grade in high school. So word came out that there's a lawsuit going on that Zion Williamson is trying to get out of a marketing agreement that he has with a company because he wants to have a different company represent him for endorsements. So let me quickly explain what's happening. Let me explain why Duke has been implicated and what is really going to happen here. When a player is young or when you're young, very often you hear about people who sign contracts that then they want to get out of once they hit it big. We've learned that Scottie Pippen did that with the Bulls, wanted to get out of his long-term deal, seven years, 18 with the Bulls and couldn't do it. We know that a musician like Prince wanted to get out of a record album that he had, a record deal that he had signed and got so upset with his record company, he basically changed his name to a symbol and Set and wrote, remember when he wrote, uh, Coke, I'm, if I get it wrong, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm almost positive that he appeared on a show and wrote slave, uh, cut into his beard. 
and he meant slave to a record company. But of course, I couldn't mean George Michael because George Michael also had a huge fight with his record company. Elton John had a fight with his record company. Elvis Costello had a fight with his record company. It happens everywhere. It was Prince. Thank you, Coca. And it was Prince in the beard. Prince in the beard for 100, Alex. So Zion Williamson, when he was young, signed a deal with the marketing company saying, listen, when and if endorsements come, I want you to represent me. Let's get to what they did in that representation at a later time. Today, though. Then as he got older and joined the pros, he wanted to switch to a different, bigger, more established marketing company. So he is suing the old marketing company to get out of that deal because he wants to sign a new deal because this old company is saying, hey, we have a deal. Now that you're making $10 million worth of endorsements or $100 million or whatever you're making, hey, we want a piece of the action. We liked you when you were young and didn't know you'd be good. Don't go to someone else just because you're good now. Give me my money. Pay the man his money. So Zion Williamson is suing. The agency is countersuing. It is a legal mess that does nothing but benefit lawyers. This is a Tuesday in the legal profession. Suits, countersuits, back and forth. Seen it, done it, been there, won them, lost them, all across the board. During the course of civil litigation, it is not like the series LA Law. It is B-O-R-I-N-G. And no, Greg, I'm not talking about the show, so don't cut it on the YouTube video and say B-O-R-I-N-G. And then people say, oh, nothing personal is boring. No, litigation's boring. There are documents that go back and forth. There's something called discovery where you get to see the documents from the other side. They get to see your documents. Thousands upon thousands of emails, faxes, papers, memos. Part of the process is something called an interrogatory. Interrogatory is what you think it is. That's a question. I am asking the other side a question. The other side has to answer it as part of a litigation. I ask, you answer. Question number one, true or false, Zion Williamson or his agents, agents not meaning player agents, meaning people who represent him, in this case, his mother, whose last name is Samson with the P, by the way, and his stepfather. Did anyone receive any benefits from Nike or Adidas prior to the decision to attend Duke? Answer me. Question number two, did anyone who you know, your agent, mother, stepfather, friend, cousin, relative, receive anything from Adidas? Did you receive anything from Duke? These are all questions. It doesn't make them true. Zion is going to respond to the interrogatories. One, it'll say no or yes, because you can't lie in interrogatories. Those are actual written, written and have to be practically under oath statements. So people are concerned right now that Zion Williamson got paid by Duke to go to Duke, got paid by Nike and Adidas to wear Adidas shoes to go to a Nike school, and that he was doing this as an ineligible player, basically, as a high schooler deciding where to go to play. Are you going to be surprised to hear that Duke possibly and sneaker companies probably get involved in getting money to recruits' parents to help them with homes, to help them with expenses? Are you going to be surprised that any of this ever took place? The purpose of the litigation involving Zion Williamson has nothing to do with that. It's about whether or not the relationship between Zion and his old marketing firm can be broken. And if so, what will be the terms? It's not about Duke or Kentucky or Nike or Adidas. It is simply about business. 
It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.